A very good morning. Welcome to the Voices of Healthcare Equity. I'm your host, Kim Tranquata. I am the founder and CEO of the Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World and a board-certified emergency physician. There is currently a global shortage of 6 million physicians and several million other healthcare professionals, including nurses, midwives, dentists, and pharmacists. With HAEW, we're using telehealth to bridge this global healthcare workforce gap today. And we are working to build a global community of healthcare workers who can do the work of global health from their home on a regular basis. This podcast, Voices of Healthcare Equity, is one way we're building this global community. And this podcast features conversations and insights from innovators in global health. Today, we're honored to be speaking with Dr. Emmanuel Abara. Dr. Abara is a practicing urologist in Ontario, Canada, and a telehealth innovator with projects in both Ontario and Nigeria. We met at the International Society for Telemedicine and eHealth Conference in San Jose, California, where Dr. Barr is also actively involved with the association. And it's my pleasure and honor to have you to chat with us today, Dr. Barr. Thank you very much, Kim. You're so welcome. Dr. Barr, tell us a little bit about your work and how you are addressing healthcare equity in your work. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me on your platform. Uh, as uh, Kim had in, in indicated, I'm a community practicing urologist in T Richmond Hill, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I've been in practice for several years. And I would like to give you some insight into how my practice has grown and addressing healthcare equity along the way. As a medical student, we had a rotation in community health where we had to go to a rural community and act as training doctors. And during that period was my first encounter with what could be considered telemedicine. And so we would, as final year students, admit patients, take history, physical exam, make a diagnosis, and write prescription. But the prescriptions have to be okayed by the consultant physician at the teaching hospital, which was about 80 kilometers away. And so as young medical students, we learned how to examine patients, take history, write prescriptions, look after patients, but under the supervision of our teachers who were a long way from where we are. Or were able to communicate technologically by telephone, telegraph, and a special machine that was uh, 
installed by the, I think, uh, an NGO from the USA. This was way back in 1974-75. Over that period, I graduated, and one thing my father said to me is that you've got to go back to the village to provide care for those who live in the village. And I, I want to give you a little background of my family. Um, my parents were Salvation Army officers and who were district commanders for the Salvation Army in eastern Nigeria. And they were very much in tune to equity building, creating uh, limitations to disparity and gaps in both social and economic affairs. And you can imagine I was more or less influenced by that. And my father felt that I needed to give back to the communities even as, as I grew up as a medical student and as also a doctor. And over the years, while I was still in Nigeria, I played a role in helping communities that were disenfranchised and um, helping the ministries of health in various states to establish avenues where we can help build equity within communities. For instance, at a point, I was acting as the territorial medical advisor for the Salvation Army, and my role was to help in establishing health institutions for the church for people who were disenfranchised. And one of those was that we established two homes for handicapped people, both adults and children, they had education, and then we worked with the universities to create prosthesis for those who needed it and provide services for them. I'm happy that over the last 40 years, those institutions have continued to grow and flourish. Along the line, uh, the thing that sort of continued to uh, maintain the interest I had in rural health was the year after graduation from medical school in Nigeria, you were expected to give one year of service in a rural community or a community outside your own state. And between 1977 and 1978, I had the privilege of serving a rural community called Share in Wara State, which was very, very far away from my state. So for the first time as a young man, newly graduated physician, I was thrown into a community that had very little health resources. I had the privilege of actually uh, running one of the first mobile clinic, health clinics in Nigeria way back in then. And again, it wasn't quite telehealth, but it was something like that because we would travel away from the health center to the rural communities using a mobile health um, vehicle. And then we would be corresponding with the health center by telephone if we needed assistance. But 
this was again reaching the underreached communities in the rural remote areas. Now, when I came through my training, I finished that, I did a training in general surgery. And of course, I was training in a urban center, but my dad continued to remind me the needs in the rural communities. So at the weekends, when I had time off, I would go to the villages that were earmarked to provide care. And then the follow-ups were mainly through telephone, letters. So we just did not just provide care, but we continued the care by some form of telecommunication. In those days, we didn't have, we didn't have emails, we didn't have internet, but we did what we can by either letter writing, telegrams, or te telephones. And as I grew in my practice, and finished general surgical training in Nigeria, I had the opportunity to come to Toronto to train in urology. And uh, I was very fortunate that when I trained in urology, technology in surgery was in advance. So I had the privilege of doing a lot of things, learning new techniques, but also it gave me opportunity to interact with young high school students who were aspiring to be physicians and who sometimes I mentored, we shared information, and some of them have gone on actually to do much better than I have done. And one or two of them have established big health facilities in developing or what we call the LMIC countries, and they're doing very well. However, in terms of telehealth, what has been my passion really came into being in North America. As a consultant urologist, my first location was in Northern Ontario, and I was located in a town called Timmins. You know, Timmins, if you know, is probably the largest town in terms of area in North America and is known mainly for gold mining. And all around Timmins were small communities that people had to drive many kilometers to obtain specialist care and sometimes primary health care in Timmins. And fortunately at that time there was uh, a program by the Ministry of Health where there was incentive for people to go out to the communities away from where they practice to offer help. And again, this was a good attraction for me. And so I established satellite clinics, almost uh, over 10 satellite clinics from Timmins to areas like Kapuskasin, Cakeland Lake, Cochrane, uh, Iroquois Falls, way up, not, not, not like Hearst. These are areas you can look up in the, in the map of North America, the northeastern Ontario. So for over seven years, and actually up till last August, we served these communities in addition to the urban practice that I have. 
But the key starting point really was in 2006 when the three telehealth divisions in Ontario became the Ontario Telemedicine Network. And that gave us an opportunity for me to create a studio in my practice in Richmond Hill and continue to attend to patients in Northern Ontario. And we've done that now for close to 17 years. And these are um, avenues of service that has, in my opinion, has continued to improve the quality of care provided not just by me alone, but by a lot of uh, uh, telehealth practitioners, both physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals in reaching the rural communities or remote communities, at least in Ontario. And some of us, <laughs> either out of madness or enthusiasm, are reaching out to international uh, centers and reaching out to create better access, build equity, reduce disparity, and ensure that all who come under our radar have good quality health care. And as Kim mentioned, we were in California three weeks ago, and I presented a pilot project which we are undertaking in, again, my rural village, Okoki Temple. And it is not something that is unique for us. I mean, it may be unique for my village, but it's probably not unique around the whole world because I'm sure these practices have been done in other parts of the world. But for the first time, we were able to, um, where I am sitting right now, on the 27th of December last year, 2022, we were able to create a health education webinar where we had people from the village and people around the world zoom in through Zoom and we had a health discussion. It was a free-for-all discussion. We had doctors, we had engineers, we had social workers, we had nurses, nutritionists who happened to come originally from that village, but living outside the village. And the reason that happened is that the young professionals who come from that village, by 2018, established one week of free health services to the rural communities, where doctors, nurses, health professionals volunteered that time and talent, skills, and resources gave this freely to the community. And so I was only helping in what these young professionals are already doing. And we're hoping to repeat that on the 27th and the 28th of December this year. You have taken us on an amazing journey uh, of the arc of telemedicine. 
um, over 50 years, you were doing telemedicine before it was um, sleek and um, in vogue, um, literally doing it by telephone and telegraph 50 years ago. And then um, on moving to Canada for fellowship, um, happened to enter one of those surgical specialties that have really been on the cutting edge of robotic technology um, in medicine um, for some time. It's almost like this was meant to be, Dr. Barra. And now you are um, pioneering um, not just using telehealth, but using um, the concept of um, using expatriate expertise to bring um, that expertise and that passion and caring for the rural community back to the rural community. So this is a, those are really um, important concepts. Um, you know, at the intro, I talk about there being a, a global um, healthcare worker shortage. And um, I truly believe we can make that shortage less with the people we have now. You, Dr. Barra, with a 50-year career, talk about using your free time. <laughs> it's not free time if it's not free to go into rural communities and provide um, healthcare services. Um, and now we have the possibility in 2024 to do that from home and bring that expertise quick, more quickly and more reliably because you don't have to worry about uh, roads being flooded, um, conflict, pandemics, et cetera, to bring that more reliably to uh, rural areas. So I, I think this is an incredibly exciting work that you're doing at an incredibly exciting time in medicine. You alluded to perhaps not being unique in doing this, but I don't think we need to be unique. I think we need to be many. I think there needs to be many doing this work so that we really can make a global impact. So. I thank you. That's been an amazing journey um, that you've taken us um, uh, on. Tell, could you talk a little bit about um, the tension um, of, uh, you know, growing up in Nigeria, becoming a, a physician? We hear this a lot um, from low and low middle income healthcare systems. Um, training healthcare professionals takes a long time. And then at the end of that training, uh, you can't always expect them to stay where they are. Um, they've undergone a lot of hardship and debt, and they're looking for opportunities for themselves and their families as well. How can we um, change that conversation a little bit now that we have telehealth and we have the passion of, I think, people like yourself who are willing to give a little time to this. What, what have you seen about leveraging that expat community to help rural communities? I, I think this is a great opportunity for us, for many reasons, to take on telehealth as a tool that is going to be part of the solution 
It's not going to be the complete solution. It's going to be part of the solution. Consider, um, and the way I look at it is there has to be collaboration between various stakeholders, the governments, the healthcare professionals, the policymakers, those, the businesses and the communities. One, we have to accept telehealth as part of the solution. And it has been, I mean, telehealth has been in existence over 100 years, but the uptake has been very poor until we had the COVID pandemic. And I can tell you, in various parts of the world, it tripled or multiplied nine times, 300 times. And yet, there are still countries, communities, where this has not happened. Or if it's happening, it's happening at a very low pace. So I think this is an opportunity. In, in fact, if talking about my regional country, Nigeria, you seem to have a good sense of what's going on. There's been a lot of uh, physicians getting out of the country, looking for greener pastures. However, we cannot stop individuals from what they have to do, you know, for their well-being and for their families. However, it's important for us to begin to advocate with the government to create opportunities and um, resources to encourage the physicians to remain. I mean, there are people who will still go, but the government has to be actively involved in encouraging physicians and healthcare professionals to stay in the communities. But more importantly, I would think that using telehealth as a tool will actually encourage healthcare provision in rural communities. Get over the, um, what I call the challenges of infrastructure development, particularly if, as we know, the smartphone is everywhere. And what the governments or stakeholders need to do is to ensure that there is internet that is commonly available and that the bandwidth within various communities are good and easily affordable. And that will change the economics and dynamics of healthcare by creating a hybrid type of style where, yes, we have to see patients face-to-face individually, but there are things that we can do by telehealth which will save costs, provide convenience to the patient, provide um, access faster, and actually improve the quality of care. For instance, when we did the telehealth clinic last year from 
Toronto to my village in Okokitan. I had a couple come to me for consultation. It may sound simplistic, but they have not been able to see a doctor to counsel them on family planning. And I was able to talk with them, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, talked about all the options. In addition to that, I referred them to somebody that's in my network who could provide the service for them. Now, even though they lived in Nigeria, they lived in a rural community, they couldn't get the access. But what has happened? They didn't have to come to Toronto to consult me. And they didn't have to come to Toronto to have their surgery, their procedure done. Telehealth breached the gap, provided them a timely access, provided them a resource they can use, and it's up to them. So this is something I believe that telehealth is here for us. And we just have to encourage the optic. We have to um, build uh, partnerships, what I call the public-private partnership, not just one individual doing it, but the community at large with the government support. It is possible. Absolutely. Your insights are very, very invaluable, Dr. Abara. Thank you for joining us in this week's episode of Voices of Healthcare Equity. Together, let's amplify this conversation for a healthier and more equitable world today.